Welcome to What Magnificence with Chase Thornock, where we help high-achieving executives and entrepreneurs find answers to their most vexing health problems through the power of what if. Now, here's your host, Chase. Hey guys, it's Chase. What's good and what if? Uh, don't you love the intro music? I Every time I hear it, I'm just jamming. It makes me excited to talk about our bodies and our minds. And today I have a special treat for you. Um, I'm really excited to have Kristen Davis with me. And Kristen is my yoga guru, if that's fair to say. She may disagree with that because there's actual meanings <laughs> to that word beyond you know, what I'm using it for. But um, I met Kristen a year and a half ago or so. Um, as I was starting kind of my health journey. And she's been really instrumental for me in helping my left brain intellectual side kind of come along with a healing journey that sometimes didn't involve that side of my brain. And it was surprising how disorienting that was for me. Um, so, so grateful to have Kristen here. Grateful that, uh, that you're taking some time. Oh, thank you so much for asking me. I, I'm honored that you asked it all. Absolutely. So this is fun. This is a fun fact about Kristen. So I just learned, you know, a, a ways into us working together, I learned that Kristen's actually an accountant for her day job um, and still is an accountant, which I learned today that you're, you're still <laughs> doing the accountant stuff. Transitioning, transitioning. But I wanted to hear a little bit more about, well, let, let's start from the beginning, okay? Why, why did you choose white collar accountant kind of work? Um, you know, honestly, I kind of fell into it. It was easy for me. So, um, you know, when I was just out of high school and working first jobs, you know, my, um, I was working in offices and, and it was obvious that I had a talent for that. So I kept applying for more jobs like that and um, was mentored by, you know, I should be clear though, I'm not an actual CPA. Okay. So you don't have to be a CPA to do accounting. Sure. Um, and I'm clear with my clients about that if people want me to do, well, I don't take new accounting clients anymore. Right. But um, uh, yeah, so I was mentored under several CPAs, um, Intermountain Healthcare and one uh, for a nonprofit that I worked for. And um, then I just started applying for actual accounting jobs because I'm like, this is what I'm doing. I'm filing taxes. I'm taking care of people's GLs. I'm... So it was just easy for me. It was um, very black and white. I could see the patterns. I could, I mean, it's just numbers. It's... Mm -hmm. You say just numbers. And, and honestly, like for, I, I guess, the majority of my audience here, right, there's... There's certainly a lot of people listening who are just numbers, right? Who get numbers. I'm a little bit less of that, even though, you know, it, I think it takes me a little more effort for the numbers than it takes someone with your mind. I think that's awesome that you can do that so well. So you kind of fell into accounting. Um, you've been doing it ever since. And tell me, tell me how you ended up wanting to do yoga therapy of all things. Well, oh, this is a long and sort of tale. Not really. It's uh, so I actually started doing yoga in mm, probably '99, mm -hmm. and I've been doing you know yoga ever since then. And what um, was your interest initially? It was just a fitness thing. Okay. I was just um, you know. I'm, was it I've, kind of in vogue then? Was it starting to become more popular? Um, yeah, like, like my gym offered early. it because I was okay. you know I was a gym rat. You yeah. know, uh -huh. so that typical type A personality where mm -hmm. we're working, you know, you've got your career and you've got your you home life and you got to take care of yourself. Yeah. Um, and my gym offered it and I was like, well, I'll try it. And I really liked it. So I just kept doing it. Um, and uh, in, excuse me, <coughs> in 2016, I had a medical trauma that um, forced me to reevaluate everything in my life. Mm. And it took me, oh, let's see, about two and a half months to get in to see any kind of mental health professional because that's how awesome our medical system is. Right. <laughs> you know, so, like yeah, oh, okay. yeah, like you're in trouble. Well, you need to wait six weeks, you know. Anyways, but in the meantime, mm. 
that was what I had. I had my Pilates classes and my yoga classes and my massage therapist. And um, actually one of the very first things I did was uh, go to a sauna mm. um, and, do a, and do a sweat. So I could see then that it was helping, you know, that it was keeping me on a more even keel until I could get what I considered, you know, better help. Now, what what led you to to search out the help? I mean, obviously, it was a traumatic event for you. I, depending on the severity of the trauma, right? It can lead to like like kind of a break. Oh, you know? definitely. Was that what it was oh, for you? Oh, yeah, like, yeah. It was just a really, really intense yeah. experience. Okay. Yeah, it was very. Um, so I had uh, I just had a bad experience with some anesthesia, and there were several things that went wrong there. One of them being an adverse reaction to one of the drugs. Hmm. And, you know, when you go under anesthesia, I don't know if we, I know you've been under and many of your listeners probably have, that it feels like no time has passed. It feels like you've like blinked your eyes. I felt like I blinked my eyes and woke up a crazy person. Like I blinked my eyes and became a different person who was legit crazy. Oh boy. I, I thought, oh my gosh, this drugs, the drugs have like flipped some kind of switch in me, you know? Right. I wasn't sleeping. I had no control over my emotions. I had stuff going on with my blood work and my biology that was took almost a year to resolve. But, um, and was this your first experience with anesthesia or this no, was just a particular cocktail that they gave you? This was just this particular, you? yeah. In, in hindsight, I now see that what had happened was my previous experiences had not many of them, not all of them. I'd been under sedated or under anesthesia maybe half a dozen times in my life. And, more of them were not good than good. Right. And so I think this one was kind of like my nervous system just was like, that's it. That's it. We're that's done. That's all we got. Yeah. I can't, well, can't and, take it And anymore. we've talked about this, this uh, phenomenon of criticality, right? Like our body's ability to adapt is incredible. It's one of our greatest assets that we have. But sometimes without awareness coupled with that adaptability, it becomes our greatest weakness because we adapt, we adapt, we adapt, and then we just break. Right, and there's no more adaptability left, and we didn't really see how close we were to the edge, right? Yeah, exactly, and it was, um, uh, I also didn't have, I I had a chemical handicap going on, Uh because I was, you know, in, um, normally the things that had happened, because my previous experiences, you know, yeah, bad things happened, but my brain, you know, processed through them. They got filed away appropriately. My nervous system recovered. Uh Um, But this time I had this adverse reaction that I was dealing with and I was in a steroid mania. And I I just don't think my brain could do it. I understand the steroid thing. Yeah, yeah. I was on steroids for on and off for a long time and then for a sustained period for a year and a half for my Crohn's disease it was the only thing that kind of controlled it and uh, when you talk about steroid mania like I understand that completely like it turned me into a totally different person that was one of the reasons I started to try to find other help because I was like I'm gonna destroy myself I'm gonna destroy my family like there were times where like I'd almost get rear-ended or almost get in an accident, and I wanted to fight somebody, right? And that's like not me. Yeah, like yeah. I, you know, and the steroids were totally doing that to me. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, I was like not sleeping. I was yeah, sleeping I like that. three hours and a like night, sweating for a and week. like angry and yeah, yeah, yeah. Ugh. yeah. So I wasn't able to to process. You know, my brain was not able to process that for you know several reasons. Like you said, yeah. the criticality and then just that chemical handicap and. Well, and I do want to mention this too about the steroids. So, so the way that the, the corticosteroids work is that you ingest the prednisone or whatever, methylprednisolone or whatever it is, and the liver takes that and converts it into um, uh, cortisol, right? A stress hormone, which is massively anti-inflammatory, but that's why all those other side effects exist because your body is just stressed out of its mind yeah. artificially with yeah. those chemicals. Anyway. Yeah, exactly. On. So anyway, okay. word to the wise, um, anyone who's going to be sedated or go under general anesthesia, talk to your anesthesiologist or whoever is, whoever is administering it. Sometimes it's not an anesthesiologist. And make them go over the drug list with you and explain what each drug is doing and why it's needed. Because um, for me, the drug that actually gave there me a problem, completely yeah. unnecessary, uh. not needed at all. So, okay. um, yeah, so 
yeah, just just ask. I mean, you have the right to informed consent. Most anesthesiologists do not actually go over a drug list with you. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't use a steroid. It may be totally appropriate sure. for you. Yeah. But just know what you're getting and why you're getting it. Right. And remember that there may be drugs on that list that you can say no thanks and they can still do what they need to do without them. Right. So Fascinating. Well, and I do want to bring up this too. Uh, sorry to be so tangential no, about fine. it, but one of those drugs often that's administered is an anti-shaking medication, mm -hmm. which makes a lot of sense, um, practicality-wise, well, right? Well, you would think it makes a lot of sense, well, you, right? You don't want yeah. someone shaking around as you're trying to cut them with a scalpel, right? I, I would imagine that's the idea behind it. But what we know from the nervous system is that shaking is part of its process. Like you talked about having your other anesthesia experiences and your nervous system being able to complete the cycle, right? Being able to process it. And one of those processing mechanisms to return back to homeostasis and activate the parasympathetic nervous system is shaking. Yes. Yeah. And, we, and we inhibit it. Yeah. It's very bad. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't inhibit the shaking. Shaking's a good thing. Yeah, right. when you've been in, uh, you know, when you've been in a stressful situation and you notice that you're shaking afterwards, roll with it. You should absolutely roll with it. Um, and the reason that, uh, uh, not always, but oftentimes, the reason that they give you these drugs to stop that shaking is just because people don't like it. Mm. Well, it is uncomfortable. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I always thought it was more, you know, like a practical thing, but that's interesting to say that, yeah, I, I hadn't considered that. People just don't like to shake. Yeah. In fact, I, I'm scheduled for a medical procedure next week that I will not be sedated at all. And I had a conversation with my doctor and I said, my goal with anesthesia is not to um, have this be the spa-like experience where I'm, I experience no discomfort whatsoever. Mm -hmm. That's unrealistic. Right. Um, but that's kind of what Americans want out of anesthesia is they want it to be yeah. like nothing happened, you know. Or, or yeah, it's, it's, it's what's wanted and it's also kind of just the natural progression of things, right? There's just an assumption, right? Like, like yeah. I had assumed that the, the shaking stuff was for, for the doctor and I guess the doctor's assuming the shaking medications for me. Yeah, right, <laughs> right, yeah. One of us wants to be yeah, uncomfortable. Yeah, so I had, I had this new conversation and I said, my goal is not to never experience you know, to experience zero discomfort, my goal is to make this procedure tolerable. Hmm. That's what I that's what I need out of out of anesthesia. But but yeah, people in general, not just Americans, but um, worldwide, you know, are not comfortable yeah. being uncomfortable. Yeah, it hurts. Being uncomfortable sucks. It's awful. Right? Yeah, Whether it's physical pain or mental pain or yeah. emotional pain. And quite honestly, and again, we've talked about this in previous episodes, but our brain is a masterful resource conserver, right? It mm -hmm. wants to find resources and it wants to conserve resources. And generally things that are uncomfortable are things that use a lot of resources, yeah. right? And so it's gonna kind of steer away from that. All right, so now that I've thoroughly taken us down another path, so you had this this adverse experience, right? You've 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 made an appointment to get some counseling and some therapy, um, but that's a ways out. And so you've got yoga, Pilates, and other things. To yeah. Help. So I, you know, I started meditating. Um, I'd never really meditated before, but I started meditating, and I was doing my physical practices. Sometimes I would just get up in the morning, and I was just making my what my body was experiencing match all the way around. I would just go for a run and I'm not a runner, but my body was like, you gotta move, you gotta do something. I, so, um, so, so for example, you were feeling, I don't know how to describe that sensation. But we would like, say you the had word sympathetic, but what would you yeah, say? Yeah, yeah, that's right? good, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so it, when you say match all around, your brain was so having a sympathetic of, experience. Yeah, so instead of sitting, you know, being like, uh, sitting around trying to just call my, talk myself down. Um, is it anxiety? Would, is that, is that yeah, a fair would way be, to describe yeah, it? Yeah, it would okay. be, I would now describe that as anxiety. Okay. Um, in fact, I, I now realize that I actually had quite a bit of anxiety before the medical trauma. Right. I just didn't want to label it as such because in, sure. in my mind, anxiety was, I, I don't know what I thought it was, but bigger and badder than what I was experiencing. You know, I thought it was something people had to be medicated for, or you were, you know, you were hospitalized for it. I didn't realize that it came in all sorts of forms and levels, you know? Okay. So, so yeah, I, um, I initially just 
was leaning on some of the tools I already had, not realizing they were tools. Yeah. Does that make sense? Totally. It was like I just didn't know. Well, you were, you were kind of in survival mode from what you're describing, right? Yeah. I went to my massage therapist and I was like, help. I don't know what to do. And she's like, let's do some stuff, you know? So yeah. she, she worked with me, you know, and I told my Pilates instructor and my yoga instructor, and I'm like, this is what I'm going through and, you know, help. And they're like, okay. Now, did you find, I mean, was there much of a conflict for you going from such kind of a left brain profession of accounting to now opening yourself <clears throat> up to the possibility? It, it seems like you've been doing these things for a long period of time, which I'm sure was helpful, but was there any sort of, um, I don't know, dissonance between your left brain, your intellectual um, kind of manager and opening yourself up to the possibility that, hey, massage therapy may be helpful or yoga may be helpful? Or were you just in survival mode, just trying to find something? You know, because of my experiences with, I actually have a fine art degree. Mm -hmm. And so I, I feel like I have a pretty decent left brain, right brain kind of balance. Mm -hmm. um, and since I'd been doing massage, the massage stuff and, the, um, and my massage therapist, she's, she's a little different, you know? Yeah, she's, sure. Yeah, she's... She's not just sitting at Massage MV doing... She's a little more right-brained. Yeah, 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 she does more body work and energy work and that kind of stuff. And and I just rolled with it. I was like, well, I feel better after the, my massage sessions with her. So I just rolled with it. So since I had the, that kind of experience already under my belt, it wasn't... Yeah, I, I guess... Was it, it hard for you to spend money on those services? No. Was it? No. Yeah, for some... That's just, so great. Yeah, it, it, it wasn't. It wasn't hard. Um, I think for me, it was the big aha was that I've got to do something more that there's, I don't even know how, no, it's I, hard I, to articulate. I feel like I understand this because when I started out in my journey, initially it was all about me trying to be really scientific about it, right? Like, I'm just going to try one thing and I'm going to try to isolate it so that I know if that one thing is working. Mm -hmm. right? The power of one. Yeah. But eventually I got to a point in that journey where I was like, I don't care anymore. Like I got sick enough, basically, is what happened. That I was like, I don't care what works. I don't care if it's placebo. I don't care if it's whatever. Like, I just need to find some answers here. It's going to kill me, frankly. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, that's that's a big problem for me. So I don't know if that was kind of your position too, or it's like, look, and, and ultimately I'm really grateful that I got to that point because I think I realized it wasn't just one change. There wasn't just one change to make. And I had been conditioned to believe that was the case, right? Because of the but way that it was that like, our, I just need to find the right vitamin or I need to find the right. Whatever it was, because I feel like that's kind of how our scientific <coughs> Our scientific method works, right? Is that we try, or, or when we're testing pharmaceuticals or whatever, right? We try to narrow it down so that we can measure effect. And so that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to find the things that, the one things. And I wasn't opposed to finding something and then adding to it, but I was really grateful that I hit that point because I found out everything needed to change, right? It wasn't just my diet. It wasn't just my mindset. It wasn't just whatever. It was my entire life that had to change. Yeah. Right. And that was, I'm really grateful I got to that point. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I think we were at a similar point, but mine was pretty um, instantaneous. Yeah. It sounds like yours was like, bang. Yeah. Like, Lady, you got a problem. <laughs> you need to do something about it. Right. And I think what, I think it woke me up to the fact that not only, I mean, not only did I have that immediate problem, but I was like, oh my God. I actually have lots of problems. Right. You know, it became very, in fact, one of the first things I did um, was call my mom and ask if I had been molested. <laughs> sure. Because I, I was like, something What's is obviously wrong? deeply wrong here. Right. And I don't know what it is. And I'm like, it's something more than right. a drug. Right. It's, you know, there's something more going on here. Absolutely. And I was just trying to put pieces together. Huh. So, and in that same year, um, my sister was in the social work graduate program up at the University of Utah. And she said, you know, there's this book that I read and I think it's really good and you might like it. It might be helpful. It was called The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk, which mm -hmm. I know you've read. Mm -hmm. 
And um, in that, there, you know, he said there are these four things that he has found have been working for trauma, which I was obviously traumatized. Yeah. Yoga, neurofeedback, um, and now I can't remember the other two. So, but I was like, oh, I'm already doing yoga, so I'm just going to do more of that, you know. And it was um, in 2018. I um, after I'd been doing. EMDR and which is also kind of a it's a bilateral embodied practice and uh, bilateral stimulation embodiment and it um, I found what am I trying to say here I had been I had been looking for like therapeutic yoga that was specifically um, not just what you find it at the gym or your, your typical yoga studio. Mm -hmm. And I went and took one of those classes and I was like, ah, this is, this is different. I could see how it was, how it was different than the, the yoga I've been practicing. Well, let's, let's talk, let's break that down a little bit more because sure. you used a word embodiment. Um, and I feel like that's important to kind of break down too, because that was when we first started our sessions together, that was a word that was thrown around and we talked about, right? But it took a while for me to kind of understand exactly what that meant. How would you describe that word? This, this is all embodiment practitioners have this conundrum. It's like how, to, it's difficult to define. And you look up in, you know, you look up in the dictionary, it says the state of being embodied. Oh, well, thanks. <laughs> that's, that's great. It's um, embodiment is being, in your body, being safe in your body, being aware and using your body to heal your mind, using your body to be present so that you're, you're fully in your body. Um, I think that's a great definition. And honestly, I have a theory why it's hard to describe, right? And that is because to describe embodiment is to try to use language that you don't have a language processing center for. Correct. Right? It's like yeah. describing an emotion to somebody. Yeah where we all kind of have a general idea of what each is others talking about, but you have no idea what the other person's feeling. Yeah. Right. But embodiment for me, and, and I think that's why it took some time for me to get it because initially when we started our sessions, I was so dissociated, right? So severed between my brain and my body that it took time for that to build first. Then once that builds, then I'm like, Oh, because you, then you can recognize it. I get it. You could feel it. Yeah. And I had similar experiences, learning tacit skills and, and I think probably as a fine art major or in your degree you had similar experiences where you're being described something or being taught something by a master right in ballroom dance I'd be taught a step over and over again something that I'd learned forever and then I'd be having a master class with you know the top one of the top professionals in the world and they would describe a basic dance step in a way that then my body understood it, right? And once my body understood, it was a totally different experience, right? It just like clicks. Yeah. That's one way we describe it, it just clicks. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, a, it's, you said like describing an emotion and I maybe like describing a taste. Describe the taste vanilla. Oh, that's a we good one, yeah. We all know what vanilla tastes like, but you, right. until How you, are you taste gonna do, it. You don't have a language for that. Yeah, because it's, it's exactly, you don't have a language center for it, so. Hmm. Okay, so so we you you started out with kind of a more commercial version of yoga as yeah. a workout style. Kind of help us understand the difference between this or that yoga <clears throat> and you know the, the the therapeutic kind of yoga that we're talking about. Okay, the embodied yoga. I actually have this text that I sent to this lady the other day, and she's like, "What do you do? <laughs> what is it that you do?" So. What we do is we use yoga to gain awareness and insight, to regulate your nervous system, change your physical state, and create new neural pathways in order to heal, to reduce suffering, and to live better. Um, the yoga that most Westerners are familiar with is the asanas, which is the postures and the, the movements and meditation. And that is just one very small part of yoga. The word yoga actually means, um, in Sanskrit, it means to yoke, to connect. Hmm. And yoga is about connecting. It doesn't really matter what the connection is. Yeah. Connecting mind to body, connecting self to other, connecting to your 
higher power, connecting to the planet, connecting, yeah. you know, your fingers to your toes. It's all, if, if there's connection going on, then that's yoga. There was a video I saw of a lady um, doing some kind of contortionist stuff on horseback. And there's a person in the center of the ring and they're holding the, the lead on the horse and the horse is running around them in circles. And then the lady, you know, she jumps on the horse and she's doing her contortionist stuff and she's doing, of course she has to time everything well with this galloping horse. She's, she's contorting on a horse. Yeah. So she's doing acrobatic stuff. Okay. She's doing some of it's like yoga postures I recognize sure. and some of it's stuff that's maybe not a posture I'd recognize. It's and there are so amazing. many, and it's all yoga. Yeah. I'm like, that's so much yoga because you, the person holding the lead, they have to be connected to themselves, to the ground, to the horse, to the, the woman who's doing the actual performance. And then the horse has to be connected to every, all, they all have to be connected to each other and to the physical objects they're touching. And it's, uh, anyways. That's, I said, a, that's awesome. That's beautiful. I, it makes me think, again, back to my experience in ballroom dancing. When we were dancing with a partner, you could do so much more and be much more effective if you're connected, right? If you weren't connected, you only had the power of one. Yeah, so you were doing thing. yoga. Right. Were yeah. You, you were just I've doing, doing it to yoga music. forever. You've been doing it to music. <laughs> awesome. awesome. I know, it sounds kind of like uh, maybe trite or like a no I like a cop out that yoga is everything but it no 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 it, I feel like this was this was a foundational thing for me to understand like my my left brain understanding this piece was really helpful for me to open myself up to this experience right because my experience with yoga was <clears throat> very limited you know but I was familiar with the pop culture yoga right what what I saw on TV or or that it was another workout regimen to stay healthy what I didn't recognize yoga was, and, and kind of my definition of yoga is, in some ways it's, in, in, um, it's instilling a state of discomfort or instilling a state of awareness. Awareness and discomfort are so closely related, right? Discomfort right. kind of brings us into a state of awareness because it's harder to ignore. Yes, yeah. Um, and so yoga for me was we, we initiate the state of discomfort to help bring awareness, right? And then we feel it. You don't dissociate from it. You just feel it. And it's not like you need to feel it and judge it. You just try to feel it, try not to judge it and experience it and try to connect it all. Right. Yeah. And that was, that was so fundamental for me to understand. And then I think the next step <clears throat> for me was to recognize that I thought the discomfort I was going to experience was going to be mostly physical. Like we'd hold a pose, right? <laughs> right? You hold a pose for long enough, you're feeling it through your body and you start to connect all of that. But I didn't realize that yoga, the discomfort that you can start to introduce can also be emotional, mm -hmm. past traumatic experiences, right? There've been plenty of times where I'm laying on the floor. I'm not holding a yoga pose at all, right? And we've done work. Yes, you are. It's cor corpse pose. <laughs> corpse pose. <laughs> but but um, I know what yes. you mean, yes. And you know, bringing up these uncomfortable things, right? And then connecting, that's yoga. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and it doesn't, um, uh, and I would say, <clears throat> since I would take it further and say that it's also about finding alignment. So it's uncomfortable because it's, you're unaligned, hmm. you know, and you may have a joint that's unaligned. You may have, uh, an aspect of your life that is not aligned with your belief system, hmm. or you may have, you may, you have, may a, have a belief you, that is not aligned with reality. Right. A belief, a judgment about something that this is not good. Yeah. Right, this is painful. I like that because I would, I would have described the cold therapy, right? Laying in the snow initially as painful, right? As uncomfortable and painful. And you talk about a misalignment there because it, it's just a sensation, right? And the only reason it becomes, uncomfortable or painful is because of the judgment I assign to it that it's not good but ultimately when you lay there and you're still it really is just a sensation your body wants to interpret that as pain yeah sensation is not going to kill you yeah it's just sensation so that's interesting that and you it, say it, it, alignment. I mean, for sure sensation is you know there for a reason of harm is coming if you you know obviously if you laid in the snow for too long harm will be coming right so it is your body sending you a message yeah but the message itself is not the issue right um it's 
you know, not paying attention to the message or assigning too much importance to the message. You know? Or a mistimed message, right? Like when our immune systems have had a traumatic experience and they've been kind of become conditioned to a trigger, right? Then there's sensations that happen in our bodies that we interpret as danger because of past conditioning, right? So mistimed kind of yeah. stimulation that way. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. So yeah, yoga, it's, it's, and there's nothing wrong with kind of that social media yoga and, no, and no, no, or, not at all. Uh, can I call it like commercial yoga? They're, sure. Cause it gets, it, it's still yoga. It's still going to get people on the path. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's still going to get people moving and being more aware. And there are plenty of awesome, um, yoga teachers out there who are doing therapeutic type yoga and even if it's even if that's not purposely therapeutic as um, long as there's the awareness component right yeah. I mean if it if it becomes and correct me here if I'm wrong but if it becomes kind of like another workout regimen where the whole goal is to sweat and burn calories and I will disconnect from my body in order to do that then it kind of just becomes it just becomes another workout. Just another workout, right? Yeah. The connection piece is critical. Yeah, the connection piece is critical. Well, that's what, that's what you described yoga as. Without connection, it's not really yoga. Yeah, because I mean that it's, yoga is connection. It's just another word for, it's just another word for connecting. And there's, you know, there's all kinds of yoga that, uh, there's yoga of the mind, there's, um, yoga between individual, like um, interpersonal yoga. It, it doesn't just have to be the asanas, but that's what kind of translated well into for Westerners. And so, yeah, but that's changing. People are becoming more aware that there's more to it than that. So awesome. So what advice, well, maybe not advice. What would you like people to know about yoga? If, if someone here is listening and they have a really strong intellectual manager, not to say all accountants have a strong intellectual manager, but it, oh, can, it, can, it can go hand in hand. Um, what, what would you want them to know if they're like, you know what, I, my intellectual manager served me well up to this point in my life, but I'm not well. I recognize that I'm not well. I recognize maybe I'm not connected. What would you want them to know about this, this mm. process? Well, your intellectual managers, I, they don't want to hear that they're wrong. No, <laughs> you know? yeah. They, they don't like that. Mine certainly doesn't. Hates, right. she hates that. Um, hmm. How would I phrase that? Um, there's, there's knowledge out there. <laughs> there's knowledge in the universe. There's knowledge, there's things that we can experience that don't translate well through the neocortex. We've got the neocortex is the, is the newest part of our brain. And just because it's something a little older, a little deeper, doesn't necessarily mean it's bad or not true. Um, it, can, it can be really scary for intellectual, those intellectual managers, they're, they're, they want to know you know, they, they want to know, and, and they've been trained and rewarded to know the facts, things that can be written down, the numbers, the letters, the words. Um, but there's so much deeper knowledge than that. And um, if those managers can just, they don't have to let go of the reins, but open themselves up to other kinds of knowledge. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, it's not being wrong. It's not being wrong. It's not it's, being wrong. It's other kinds of knowledge that our culture has not valued um, and has not taught. And quite frankly, a, a lot of people in our culture don't understand, even, even though they're doing it, you know, <laughs> even though they're tasting vanilla. <laughs> right. Well, I, and I think that the, um, the goal, like you said, the goal is to... Not tell the intellectual managers that they're wrong necessarily because because when you well frankly there's a physiological response that happens right when you tell the intellectual manager it's wrong and it needs to get out of the way so that you can get deeper to those exiles then you start to activate firefighters 
parts. I itself. assume your your audience must have you've already done an episode on all this. Yes, okay. we've talked okay. about okay. we've talked about uh, this these theories, right? Of and and just as a reminder, um, we have managers, which are generally the parts of ourselves that interact with the world. As strong as being an intellectual man. What are some examples of managers? Intellectual managers, um, I think. Oh, caretakers. Yeah. Uh, there's all sorts of. A fa- fawning, uh, people pleasing is a manager, right? Just kind of what we interact with that outside world. And then we have. It's elect- plural mind people. If we can, <laughs> that's a whole other topic, but yeah, plurality of mind. So you've got these, these parts that step forward and do most of the interacting with, with the world um, on, on a surface level because our, that's what's been working for us, you know? Right. And for you and I, it was intellectual, an intellectual mm-hmm. manager. Mm-hmm. So. And I think for most of my audience, right? We're, we're executives, we're entrepreneurs, we're kind of type A, high-functioning, go-get-it-done type of people, right? Yep. Less, <laughs> maybe a little, uh, I, maybe not less creative, but less, um, a little bit more rigid, right? In terms of wanting to know the answers, wanting to move forward, wanting to progress. And then there's other parts of self, which we call our exiles, right? And those are the, those are, to me, those are kind of the childlike pieces of us, right? They're the more um, vulnerable pieces. Is that a fair way to describe it? Um, yes. So you're speaking in the language of internal family systems, which Richard Schwartz, read, find, find him, read his books. It's great stuff. Um, yeah. So according to his system of, of plural mind, and there are many systems out there, um, you've got your, your exiles, your firefighters, and your managers. Did I get them all? I didn't. I should have brushed up on Richard before I came. No, I think you're but, right. But, uh, but yeah, you've got uh, the fire. The managers are the ones who are doing all the daily tasks. They're the ones that we think of as our as ourselves. Um, well, they're all part of ourselves. But yeah, they're the ones that are, like you said, interacting with people, and are, they're the ones who are going to work. And firefighters are the ones that come up when we're threatened and. Whatever the manager is doing is not working. A pops a firefighter, um, and both of those parts are protecting the exiles. And the exiles, they typically are a younger part that was in some kind of situation that they were not um, safe. That they weren't safe or yeah. in control. Yeah, they weren't safe or in control. And you know, kids are largely not safe and in control. So. What was the question? <laughs> well, I, we were talking about kind of the intellectual managers, and when we tell them they're wrong and to get out of the way, that activates those firefighters. And then once the firefighters become activated, there's a very real physiological response, right? A stress response, a fight or flight response. Um, and so in those states of fight and flight, all sorts of things happen in our bodies. All sorts of physiological changes happen in mm-hmm. our bodies, one of which is our, I feel like our managers, you know, our intellectual managers begin to, they always think that they're right, right? But they feel even more emboldened. I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. And I'm rational, right? Yeah. Even though all these other triggers are starting to happen, we start to believe that our thought process is entirely rational and it must be everyone else and the rest of the world that's having this big problem. Oh, oh, absolutely. Right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So there's if no... only this would change or that would change, then I wouldn't feel like, if X would change, then I wouldn't feel like Y. Right. And the next changes and you still feel like Y. <laughs> but the nice part is that if you don't trigger that firefighter, then there's a lot of progress that can be made. And so something that's been really effective for me with those intellectual managers is to kind of thank them, you know, for the job that they've done. Like this has been really, really helpful. And then to ask the question, what if? Right. What if opens up that curiosity to an intellectual manager where it's not saying you're wrong, right? It's just saying, what if there's a different way to think about it? What if I didn't get to the end of the book? Right. What if I missed this, you know, like what if there's something I didn't know? Right. And, and that, that little bit of curiosity, at least for me, um, and I think for a lot of my listeners can open that door into this realm of, okay, like, 
what does that even mean, yoga, to connect, right? Can I experience something like that? And then to recognize that it's a tacit skill, that it doesn't matter how much someone talks to you about it, it doesn't matter how much you watch it, it doesn't matter any of that stuff. You're never gonna you learn to dance to until you do the dance. Yeah, you yeah. can't learn to shoot a basketball <clears throat> unless you shoot a basketball over yeah. and over again. Yeah, you can, you can watch all the NBA games you want and you're never gonna. You're never gonna. Never yeah. gonna be a Michael Jordan unless, unless you play you the game. For a long, long time. A long, long time, yeah. Yeah, it's very, well, and the thing is, um, I think there's sometimes a perception that is kind of either or. It's either science or mysticism, you know? Mm. It's it's one or the other. And, and it's all both. <laughs> so, you know, uh, have your listeners been exposed to polyvagal theory at all? Yes, we've talked about it. Talked about Absolutely. that a little bit. Okay. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. There's a, yeah, because there's a lot in polyvagal theory that, um, you know, explains some of the work that uh, shamanic healers do and that Reiki healers do. It explains some of that with, but you know what, we didn't have, and we still don't have all those answers. Um, and just because we're starting to understand some of that and some of the reactions that the nervous some of the things that are happening in the nervous system doesn't mean we understand all of it and doesn't mean that before we knew about it that it wasn't true Mm -hmm. it was right yeah and i think that these processes were happening before we knew about them (laughs) well that's the magic that so using what if to then start to use the machinery of the body in ways that you wouldn't have otherwise that's where the magic comes in because by using your body's machinery right? Instead of bypassing your body's machinery, you take advantage of all of those processes that we simply don't understand yet. Like we don't understand what's going on when we do yoga from top to bottom, but it doesn't matter. If you're doing it, you're going to capture all of those mystic things that are happening that our science hasn't understood and yet. And it's actually eventually. a very scientific thing to do. Absolutely. To, to pose a question and say, well, what happens if? What if? What if I do this? What if I do that? And, and to see and, ex- and experience it for yourself. I think that's one of the, the tricks. <laughs> tricks? Is it a trick? That, um, that this is one of those things that you can't write down or read in a book. Just as we've said in many different forms today. Um, asking that question and getting the answer is not an answer you can read. It's not an answer that there's a number for it's an answer you have to feel in your body i love it and and it's it is i mean what's more scientific than posing that question no posing a question i mean that's that's the that's the scientific method right (laughs) right we're going to start with a question well you have been awesome and i have a couple more questions for you but before we get to that i just want to uh, remind and kind of ask ask the listeners here to subscribe to the podcast to rate the podcast if you're liking what you're hearing that just helps more people be able to find it right be able to hear it um, if you're not sure how to do those things you can head over to what magnificence what and it has instructions on how to do that um, and also send me your what if of the week if there's something that you're curious about you know you mentioned things like reiki or, or things like that if you have a what if uh, send it to me at chase at whatmagnificence.com and we'd love to uh, to feature it on the show or, or even your review of the podcast on the show. So before we get out here, Kristen, and do some cold, thank you for being Yay. willing to do this with totally. me. Totally. Let's talk just briefly about the cold. Um, how did you come across it and what piqued your interest about cold therapy? Um, honestly, I think the first way I came across it was with the warm, <laughs> just because with the, the warm, the, yeah. Come, um, when I went to the, the one of the first things I did being the sauna. Oh yes, yes and yes, I was yes, like, yes. oh, and it, I felt so much better, even though my ordeal was not over. Yes, I, I did feel better going difference. to the sauna, and I was like, aha, there's something to this temperature. Yeah, you know that it there's something here. Uh huh. Um, geez, my first experience with the cold, first experience, I don't really remember. I know last, it was probably last year that I, um, oh no, it was in, okay, it was in my yoga therapy training. Um, I had, one of the instructors had us doing cold showers. (laughs) 
which I hated. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? <laughs> you hate it every time. I always hate it. I don't it. want to sugarcoat this every for anybody. Yeah, yeah, it's awful. It sucks. Every time. <laughs> it never. <laughs> you know, like I, I do a minimum. I, I do a minimum of five minutes when I do it. And it really only sucks for the four, first like four minutes and 59 seconds. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and then as you're turning it off, it's not a sense bad. of relief. No, it, um, I, I actually, do you have this experience? I'll be sitting there in the snow and I may have, may or may not have thought I was calm before I got in the snow, but I can feel my parasympathetic nervous system come online. Totally. And you can just, and it's, my breathing just changes and my mindset changes and, and it's not, it doesn't happen every single time, but. I think it's, it's been really fun because when that happens to me, I start to notice my surroundings, right? Before that, I'm so much in my head. And then when that starts to yes. trigger, I see the sky, right? I notice the birds flying overhead and I things get quiet. I notice the texture of the snow going out in front of my eyes, you know, off to the fence line or wherever I am. And honestly, that's just our body starting. Well, our body always talks you're to us. You're becoming embodied. But you're starting you're to like, pay attention to You're like, oh, I'm here. It. I'm oh, yeah. aware. I'm connected to this thing. And I'm present in this body now. In this moment. Instead this of moment. thinking about what I'm going to do when I get out of the snow. Right. Or Which we think we have so much control over. But it's, it is, it's so powerful. Right? Just our brain's ability to drag us anywhere but here. Anywhere oh, but yeah. now. Right? <laughs> yeah. Any, anywhere but here. So yeah, that was my first experience was was cold showers, and I and I and I thought, oh my gosh, this guy's. I, I don't know what <laughs> I, I I did it, and I was like, yeah, that really sucks. Um, but I I did feel better after the showers, you know. Right. So I was like, okay, there's something to this. Keep doing it. Yeah, and then um, and then I came. I shouldn't say I came across. Someone introduced me to, um, God bless my sister. Um, introduced me to Wim Hof and his, you know, work. I'm guessing lots of your listeners have already heard of that. And then um, started doing Wim Hof's, you know, kind of regimen. And I don't think you have to have to do it exactly the way Wim Hof sure. does it. There's, yeah. there's lots of approaches. And I think he readily admits that too, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, he's yeah. like, there's lots of ways to do this, right? This way works pretty dang good. But yeah. I think there's lots of ways. Yeah. yeah. Because, you, you know, he does, yeah. And I want to go back to something that you said where, because I, I want to understand your experience a little bit more. You did the cold showers. It sucks. You got back out and you said you feel better. And this actually goes to a kind of a point of our conversation earlier, too. Um, I felt like during my journey of health that the definition of feeling better was feeling less. Right? I will feel less sick. I will feel less tired. I will feel less emotional. I will feel less. And what I discovered through that journey of going into the cold was that the goal wasn't to feel less. The goal was to feel more and to allow what I could feel to be there. How would you describe <clears throat> feeling better? I like that. I like, I like that. Um, how would I describe feeling better? Oh my God, that's a really good question, Chase. Because that was curious to me to kind of go through that journey and be like, oh, this wasn't about not feeling, right? This wasn't about not feeling pain. This wasn't about any of that stuff. And Although even, you do feel less pain. You, like that's, paradoxically, do, that's the thing is you do. actually do. I do feel less negative emotion and less pain. My, my pain tolerance is quite a bit better than it was, you know? I, I, there are plenty of things that I feel less of, but I also feel more capable. I feel more comfortable in my own skin. I feel uh, stronger. I feel more connected to other people. I feel all these, I feel like I have purpose. You know, before that medical trauma, um, I, I had my career and I had my family relationships and you know, my financial financial stuff and my home and my, you know, but I just kind of had this feeling that there was just something kind of missing. I felt like I was always like searching for this thing and a little bit, I, I hate to use the word purposeless because I, 
I mean, I was so busy, <laughs> you know, I definitely had. Isn't that true? I definitely had Of course so much, we were purposeful. We're, we're busy. Right? I'm one of those, like, I'm a type A personality and I have a lot of bandwidth. I've, I've got like <laughs> side hustles and stuff going on all the time. All sorts of projects that I may or may not finish. Um, but I, there was something missing. Some purpose is the best word I can come, come up with. Mm. I no longer have that. I have very clear purpose, very clear. And the thing is, it's not like I've got this goal that, that I'm like, okay, here's the thing, here's where I'm going, this is the destination. I just know which direction I'm supposed to be moving in and I'm and I'm doing it. And and the end goal shifts around a little bit and changes, you know, from month to month or year to year, but I have crystal clear direction and purpose now. I don't have that feeling anymore. Isn't that amazing? I think that's that's absolutely been my experience too. And I think part of that journey was understanding as well that it it involves feeling more. It involves having more space for those feelings. But I also thought too, like this deliverance would deliver me from something, right? It would detach me. Like I was I was still chasing that detachment detachment from my illness and detachment from my whatever. And you, were, you didn't even know you were already really good at it. <laughs> dissociating, right? Yeah, I was really good at I, it. I didn't know. I yeah. was really, I'm like, oh, I'm really totally, good at dissociating. Right? Um, but more and more, I wasn't ever delivered from something. I just kept being delivered to a mirror, like over and over again, right? I just saw myself again and again and again. And it wasn't a comfortable process to see myself that clearly, right? But in, through that process, you're right, like, and when you connect to that feeling, you're no longer reliant on other people or other institutions or other methodologies to tell you what you should be doing. To I am my own authority things. now. Right. Yeah. You, your body will tell you. Yeah. You are your own authority. I love it. Yeah. That's so cool. That's yeah, so cool. it's very, um, yeah. So I definitely don't feel, I still cry my eyes out. I still have you feel anxiety sometimes. I, feel I don't have a baseline of anxiety sure. anymore. That's right. gone. But I still have anxiety and troubles and, mm -hmm. you know, but I also have so much more of everything that... It's totally paradoxical. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost, you know, people use the word like minimalism, making it sound like, oh, I just, you know, I, I, I am a minimalist, but I kind of prefer the term maximalist <laughs> because what I'm doing is not cutting things out of my life. I am making room for more of what makes, for more of more. And it's, and that doesn't, that's not just, you know, physical stuff like, you know, getting rid of the junk in your house. It is the emotional stuff as well. You know, I haven't, I haven't purged myself of negative emotions by any means. No. But there's so much more room for more. Right. For more positive stuff now. Awesome. So, and it just comes easier. It's, I'm not white. I used to be white knuckling my way through life, you know, well, kind of like, oh, if I can just get it to the next more. deadline. If just, I just do more so yeah. you feel less. Yeah. Yeah. If I just, you know, if I just do one more project, if I can just make it through tax season, if I can just, you know. The rat race. Yeah. Yeah. That, that white knuckle feeling. And now, um, in fact, we talked about this a little bit the other day. I, I am achieving more with less effort. Right. And, and, and the science behind that is simply because your body is spending less time in a sympathetic fight or flight response and more time in a homeostasis parasympathetic state. And the whole goal of that system is to prepare for the future, right? And so you're able to do that far more efficiently rather than staying in the state of white knuckling. Yeah. And I'm not standing in my own way so much anymore. It still happens. I mean, of I still course. have, you still have a human on. brain. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's Absolutely. still, you know, there's always something to be improved, you know, but uh, yeah, I'm not standing in my own way anymore. I didn't even realize I was standing in my own way before. I thought it was... You can't. Take, you know, name your poison, whatever it was that I you thought You were missing the neuronic pathways. You, yeah. you, you can't know. You can't know. Yeah. Kristen, thank you so much for your time. Let's thank go hop you. out in the snow. You yeah. ready for this? Let's do it. Okay. I'm ready for this. Okay. So uh, until next time, everyone, take care of your body. Take care of your mind, listen to your body more and your brain just a little bit less and use the power of what if. Let's go get in that snow. Yeah. <laughs>